0: Hi, I'm Scott Lacey, and this is Talking Documentary. Walk the streets of any major American city, and you'll eventually see some unsavory sights. Abandoned buildings, empty lots choked with weeds, mounds of litter. And we, as Americans, accept that such things are the price we pay to live in a free society. What you typically don't see are packs of stray dogs. This stands in contrast to cities in Europe and Asia where stray dogs are a normal part of the landscape. They live their lives in parallel with humans and are not, as they are in the U.S., whisked away to live in concrete cells. Elizabeth Lowe pondered these differences and what it says about dogs, and also about us. That led her to a deep exploration of street dogs in Istanbul, Turkey. Lowe wanted to visualize the life of a stray dog, from their perspective, not ours and to do so with a rich visual language that made their lives not sad and desperate, but instead romantic and free. Lowe's film, Stray, was released in 2021. It's not only a cinematic look at stray dogs, it's also a wordless meditation on what it means to be free. A quick note, what would a discussion about dogs be without an actual dog on hand? Lowe had a canine friend with her, and you'll hear some, well, canine contributions in the background. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So this is a beautiful film, and uh, I'm curious, how did you land on Istanbul as the setting for the film?
1: Well, originally, my idea was to do a global sort of comparative approach to how stray dogs are treated in different cultural contexts. So I was researching about countries that had large stray dog populations, and Turkey came up as one of them. And it was really this fascinating history that that spoke to an almost spiritual relationship that they had with the dogs that, that drew me there. Um, there's this story from the 1900s that as the Ottoman Empire was crumbling, and under the Ottomans, stray dogs really thrived. Um, but a British diplomat came to Istanbul, and he was chased by a pack of these free-roaming dogs, and he fell to his own death. And in retaliation, the British government forced the uh, sultan at the time to round up all of the unattended animals and, and kill them. And the sultan felt that that was immoral, but he had to do it. So he banished them, all the dogs, to an island where they starved to death. Um, and shortly afterwards, huge fires broke out because there were no dogs to warn the citizens. And then World War I happened. And so the people of Istanbul really felt that the exiling of the dogs um, was like a curse on the city and the country. And so over the next hundred years, even as the government has tried to modernize the city and westernize it by eradicating all dogs from the streets, people still had the will to protest and fight for the rights of dogs to simply exist and so in 2004 they passed these laws that are so radical where you're not allowed to kill any healthy stray dog or euthanize them or even keep them in captivity and i was so struck by that contrast to the cultures that i'm from where we euthanize millions of dogs every year um and we call that humane (laughs) by by because our streets don't have dogs and so that made me want to go to Turkey and, and see what a different way of life with another species can be like.
0: So you had to cast a city and you cast Istanbul and yeah. then you had to cast as your lead a dog named Zeytan. Yes. Um, of all the dogs in Istanbul, and there surely were many, how did you land on Zeytan?
1: Yeah, I, I started looking back on my raw footage to see in my photos that I took as we were scouting. Um, and I realized that we had actually encountered and, and tried to film with quite a few dogs before we found Zayton. But a lot of those dogs, they would end up following us back um, in the course of bonding with them. And and so that really undermined the premise of the film, which is really to hand the reins of the narrative over to a dog, a non-human way of seeing and being in the world. And because they were following us around or looking to us for where to go next, um, it we weren't able to make the film in the way that we envisioned. But one day we were in this busy underground tunnel and suddenly these two huge dogs were streaking past us and weaving between people's feet in a very hurried fashion. And so we started chasing after them to see where they were headed because it felt strange to us that stray dogs had appointments to keep since they have no jobs or, you know, families or property to guard. And they turned out to be on the heels of the young Syrian men. And they had this really beautiful on and off again relationship with these young men who were sharing the streets with them. And those two dogs ended up being Zaytan and and Nazar, who are in the film. And Zaytan really stood out because just I think because of her face, the way her eyes are, the way that certain actors have charisma um, on camera, she had that. And also she was so stubborn. She almost always acted like she didn't care what I thought she should do or where to go. She always was the one leading me through the city. And that independent streak and quality is what, what enabled me to, to do the film. Which was to try to see what life looks like from a dog's point of view, living life on their own terms um rather than mine or any other humans
0: yeah, one of the features of the film is how you extract what I would say is personhood from Satan, mm. like some of those i love that close ups like i i'm I'm literally almost feeling like I'm seeing a human face, like the same sort of subtle the subtleties of looking around um, and being a little bit stoic, too. It was very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I love that you say that. Yeah, those moments that I was able to capture with her are also the best moments of the film for me.
0: So I'm I'm curious, usually when I do preparation for a podcast, I set out my questions and 8 to 10 come fairly quickly. This one, like 20 to 25, (laughs) came very quickly. I'm curious, what was a typical day filming the dogs like can you can you take me through an, an entire day from from waking up
1: yeah so initially we would try to wake up early and begin production early um but on the days that were hot the dogs would just sleep and sleep and sleep for hours and one time i was with Satan. i waited for like eight hours for her to wake up. And it was only it was (laughs) 5pm. By the time she woke up. And that was something that we had to get used to that there was no way to, you know, force these dogs to do what you wanted, because their lives were pretty good. Like they were able to find food on their own. So even when we did try to bribe them, um, bribe her, she she would, she would not care, like she would sniff what I had to offer and then go back to sleep. Um, And so we would wake we would wait until they woke up and then she would wake up and suddenly she would be full of energy and she'd start going and we'd just start running with her Um, and then we would follow her until you know as she wandered to different cafes butcher shops wherever she usually found food And, yeah, see the conversations that were happening around her. And I was always with one other person, um, Zeynep or Jaylan, who had a microphone, like a 360, like a bi-directional microphone that would pick up all the sounds that were happening around Zaytan or Nazar. And that's how we would uh, film them. them. And then then I guess we would wrap around midnight or 2 a.m., depending on once she was about to sleep. And we would try out different times. That she was active and and we had a GPS tracker that we would put on her on her collar. Um, We would put a collar on her at the end of the night after we were finished shooting so that which would sync up to our phones and you could see where she was going at night and then so the next morning when I would wake up I'd be able to find her. And sometimes people would steal those trackers, inevitably. So it would lead us to the wrong location, like a hookah bar or something. But then we would just wander around the districts or the cafes that we knew she liked. And then we would run into her again.
0: Uh, The the hidden costs of documentary filmmaking. uh, uh, Multiple GPS devices. So I'm I'm curious about what I would consider to be the raw physicality of shooting in this manner. You're you're shooting the entire film at eye level for a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm curious, like, what kind of physical positions did you have to get into and stay in for periods of time? And how did you manage that as a physical feat?
1: Yeah. um, That was really important to me that the film take on the literal viewpoint of the dog, at least from their height, um, to sort of defamiliarize audiences to everything that was happening around the dog or even to see the dog differently. And I did a lot of test shoots before going out to Turkey And what I ended up with was kind of a rudimentary rig where I had an easy rig, which is a vest that suspends the camera off of, puts the weight of the camera onto your waist instead of your arms, and a gimbal that the easy rig was sort of supporting. And basically I would just crouch low for the most part and walk low to the ground um, as much as possible for as as long as my muscles could sustain me to and because I think the, the things that were happening around the dogs was so interesting and, and every moment that felt like a, a real encounter between a dog and another dog or a cat or a human, it felt so spontaneous and unexpected. I think my attention is what helped me to overcome the physical demands of being in that crouched position constantly and also i think being in the crouched position also allowed me into different strangers conversations in a way that had i just been focusing on the people maybe they wouldn't have been as open to allowing us to film intimate arguments or their about their conversations about their love lives or their politics and i think being at the level of the dog maybe served as some kind of camouflage for me as a filmmaker, because we were acting not quite human as well. We almost became very dog-like as a crew, where we were just focused on the dogs. We were literally moving through the world at their level, their height. And so other people began to see us in a different way too, I imagine.
0: So speaking of that, you're you're following Zaytan, weaving through the city and... Probably somewhat random fashion for you. Yep. Uh, th- there are scenes where you're crossing roadways and railways, mm-hmm. and I couldn't help but wonder, are you looking left and right, or are you just trusting that this savvy street dog knows where it's going and knows where the where the danger is?
1: Of course I'm taking calculated risks as I'm making the film and moving through the city with her. But I remember as I would cross roads on her lead, I remember truly... Like consciously thinking to myself, I'm just going to trust that this dog has survived living in the city because she knows how to navigate. And of course, I'm I keep one eye out, you know, to to make sure that the car is really not going to run us over. Um, but I, I did find a lot of pleasure in relinquishing my judgment to hers. And my sense of direction is very poor, so. I was constantly lost when I was following her around the city, but I believe zaytan was never lost because at the end of the night she would always bring us back to the place where where she, where she would she would sleep um and i would we would always find our bearings and and I always knew that if I just stuck close to her enough, I would eventually end up in a place that I was familiar with again and I love that process that I was and moving through the city completely with her. And and partly that's due to my own shortcomings as a person with no navigational skills. And yeah, but of course, if ever she was in real danger, um, then I would have stepped in, but that never arose in the case of Zayton.
0: I imagine your willingness to kind of give yourself to her and her adventure mm-hmm. is reflected in the quality of the film that if, If you were a little more hesitant or uh, risk averse, this is a, it's a different film, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, one time I had a crew member who complained that I was a little too reckless, (laughs) but I always felt that I knew the temperaments of the dogs that we were around. And, and I, I guess I put a lot of trust in the dog's judgment and, and, and the, the film is the way it is, I think. It has this meandering quality. It doesn't conform to dramatic, conventional dramatic structure. But I hope that each scene or each beat does feel like there's some sense of story, even if it's not sort of focused around the things that humans typically find interesting, that each beat is kind of authentic to what I experienced with, with Zaytun like that sequence when she fights over the bone or she's you know, rummaging through the trash with Nazar and then they end up fighting over the bone and then you know, minutes later she reunites with the, the young Syrian men. By chance, that all actually happened over the course of an hour and of course it's reduced to seven minutes in the film. But, but those were real sort of nights of her life, representations of nights of her life.
0: So tell me about this crew. You mentioned that you're kind of down low, almost like a human dog in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds like you've got other people with you. And yet I didn't notice, except maybe one scene where I felt like the people on the street were reacting to you. What what was your crew size and how did you stay kind of low profile?
1: Yeah. So I think the scene that you're talking about is on this really busy street on Ishtiglal um, where the trash truck comes and the dogs find the bones and people are staring at me and at Zaytan, and then the trash truck coming, and people are sort of loitering around us. Um, in that case, I was shooting totally alone um, because we had wrapped that day with, usually I'm with uh, a Turkish producer who is with me, who is recording sound and also navigating human relationships. Um, but we had wrapped, and then I ran in because we lost sight of Zaytan. But then I ran into her again on my own on my way back to my hostel. And so I decided to keep filming on my own. And so in that case, I was totally alone. I found that when I was shooting alone, people would come up to me more um, and and try to talk to me while I was filming, um, which was obviously an interruption to my focus on Zayton. And I think Zayton could sense that. So there's one scene where she sort of starts to get up on this busy street and starts barking towards the camera. And it's because there's a man behind me um, peppering me with questions. And then another man would come and, and, you know, offer himself to defend me against the strangers. So it was a really interesting environment where people were so warm um, and so involved in getting into everybody's business, including mine. but I always somehow felt safe because I was with the dogs. And then also, if ever I was sort of bothered by people, there was always somebody to step in if I was alone. And, and you can see, I feel like you can see that spirit of meddling, of meddling in, e- in each other's business. And even that the trash truck um, worker, he decides to meddle in the drama between the, the two dogs fighting over a bone and whether one is sharing or not. And I, and I really love that.
0: Spirit So I want to talk a little bit about Kind of the choreography of the shots There's one that I love It's almost like you knew it was going to happen And yet you couldn't have You're, you're positioned in front of a cat And suddenly Satan comes out of nowhere And sees the cat through a, a break in the bushes Wheels around Cat runs Goes up a tree in the background It's like perfectly framed And I'm like, how is that possible? Was, <laughs> that, like, was that like take 10? How did, how did that play out?
1: I mean, I shot hundreds of hours of footage, so those are one of those magical moments where I'm con- I'm constantly rolling. I barely ever cut. I only ever cut when when I feel like I'm paranoid that I'll lose the previous ten or twenty minutes that I've been shooting. Um, so in that instance, with the cat, those moments of serendipity, it's just from following Zayton around and 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 being hyper aware of my surroundings, and then being loyal to her and following her. And then yeah, things just would happen. Beautiful things like that would happen. And there's no planning for it except the time that was put into increasing the chances of things like that happening.
0: So I, I guess that leads to the logical question, which is how many days did you actually shoot and how many hours of footage did you wind up with?
1: Um, I calculated... And I kind of forget, but I'm just going to really quickly calculate this again. Um, I probably shot for around 200 actual days, actual days of shooting, 200 days. Um, And if I shot, like, at least five hours a day, it would be nearly, like, just hundreds of hours. I I never calculated, but I think I shot around 200 days of footage.
0: Were you cataloging film as you went? Because that's a huge undertaking at the end, right?
1: Um, every night, I would download the footage. I just kept amassing more hard hard drives, I suppose. And I wasn't I wasn't editing the footage as I was going because the bulk of the shoot happened um, in 2018 over a six month period. And at the end of the day, I I would be too exhausted from from chasing the dogs to be actually be able to to edit i would just look over the footage but
0: yeah so just tell me about the the raw endurance it would take to go out i, I assume there are breaks in between these 200 days but even still like on day 115 even following the same dog or dogs for that period of time was there ever a point where you're like i need to get to a point where i feel like i've got a critical mass of footage and i can make this film did you ever get uh antsy uh, along that period of time? In those
1: 200 days, those were split up between different cities in in Turkey, because even though we had given up on the idea of a global comparative um, film, we had actually still gone to uh, two other cities, Kars and Bodrum, and followed two other sets of dogs outside of Zeytin, um, that we thought we would interweave between the film, the different storylines, but it became too confusing for audiences to be able to distinguish between the different stray dogs. So we had to cut their storylines and and now they exist as deleted scenes um, on the DVD of Stray. Um, But because we had divided our time between different cities, I think that sort of maybe took away the tedium of it. And it was when I felt sort of like like oh, okay, we've gotten as much as we can out of out of out of this set of dogs in terms of like their the daily occurrences or encounters that they have, or when it was beginning to repeat a lot, then we would sort of move on to the next city and 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 I guess the my time constraint was just the constraint was the equipment because I had gotten grants from Airy Amira or the alexa company Airy Company. Um, and then also from another rooftop films, they had given me grants for the camera. So our time was limited by that as well.
0: That's a perfect transition because I was just going to ask, like, you can't talk about this film without kind of talking about the aesthetics of the film. It's uh, it's like a creamy, uh, rich, almost sumptuous look to the footage. And I'm curious, like, how did you develop your visual approach to the film and, and how much of that was done in, in advance?
1: Yeah, so... When we were testing out cameras, we were lucky enough to get these grants so that we were able to use um, the Alexa, which is what a lot of Hollywood fiction films use. And that level of color and nuance was important for me, despite how heavy that camera was, because I felt like it would give a dog like Zaytan the same visual gravity. Um, and all the associations of, of a high higher quality look, all the assumptions you make about actresses as they're brooding in front of a camera, um, I was hoping that that would transfer by association onto onto Zayton. so you would give her the benefit of the doubt that even if she's not speaking that she has a rich inner life I imagine. And then with the and then we also used cook lenses, vintage cook lenses, which are these, lenses from like the 60s or something um, that were also Hollywood's go-to lenses. And I, that was important to me because I wanted the feeling of moving through the city to feel a little bit like time travel to the past, to a past where dogs roamed among us and where they fed off of our scraps as they've always evolved to do. And somehow in this city of Istanbul, this modern city of Istanbul, that phenomenon still exists beautifully. And I've always felt that there's this precarity that as a city or a country or culture develops, um, that they might turn their backs on this way of life where you're communing with other species because it becomes an inconvenience or because tourists don't like them And so for me, it felt like capturing a historical moment in time where dogs, stray dogs still exist among us and are allowed to exist among us. And that's why I I used those cook lenses and and it has this milky feeling because I hoped that it would feel romantic and and, and not what we typically think of stray dogs, which is, oh, it's so it's so heartbreaking that they're on the streets. But I, I really wanted this to be a romantic vision of what it means to be free and to stray.
0: It is striking how we've kind of landed on this pairing of vintage lenses with modern sensors and they they do tend to work well together in the sense that modern sensors can be so crisp and so sharp and these vintage lenses take a little bit of the edge off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I also use the C300 which the Canon C300 which was essential to being on the gimbal and 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 being able to be mobile.
0: So humans are a supporting actor in the in the movie, if you will. Um, yeah. Tell me more about the, the Syrian refugee boys who alternately are huffing glue, but also taking really sweet and tender care of these these dogs.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because we traveled throughout Turkey in the different cities and almost no matter where you went, there was a significant refugee population either from Syria or Afghanistan or Pakistan on the streets. And so when we were making, when we were following Zaytan around or any other dogs that we filmed with, they inevitably would come across um, these these people who were sharing the streets with them. And these Syrian boys that um, become a prominent part of Stray, they had this incredible relationship with the dogs where I could see that even though some of them were homeless, um they really saw a sense of belonging and no judgment from Zaytan and Nazar and every time they reunited with them on the streets you could see how happy it would make the dogs and when they would wake up with them in the mornings um, that the dogs almost became this substitute for the lack of physical home that they had and and also There was moments where you could tell that cartel, the puppy that they acquire by stealing from a construction site, nearby construction site, you could tell cartel was at first suffering under their itinerant sort of lifestyle as a puppy. But those boys would also, you know, they'd give up their meals, the, the free food that they got from free meal services. They would just give the chicken to the dogs. So I think... Their deep desire to acquire more and more puppies or dogs was this sense of wanting to grow their pack on the streets. And they wanted to care for, for another being, especially another being as vulnerable as a puppy. Um, I think even though their hardship, they were undergoing such hardship, there was still this desire and urge to become a caretaker and a, and a provider. And I, I found that very moving.
0: So I want to ask a little bit about your other work and um, you have one film called Hotel 22 about a city bus that doubles as a homeless shelter and another one called Treasure Island about children living on a former naval base and I'm I'm curious, like, what do you look for in a documentary story? Like, what draws you in?
1: I think it's interesting because it's, it's not very intentional in terms of, like, my body of work but I have noticed that my film's try to examine life on the margins and on the peripheries of society. Like Hotel 22 probed sort of the dark underbelly of, of the housing crisis in, in Silicon Valley. And, and I think that comes from this belief I have as a, as a person that the view from the peripheries, the further away you are from the centers of power, um, the more accurate, view of society you'll have. And I guess as a filmmaker, of course, I want my films to, to be incisive and, and critical about the world that we live in, which is often very unequal by occupying these cracks in society, whether it's the stray dogs or this public bus that's become a de facto homeless shelter or this island that was a toxic naval base that, that has become affordable housing for, pe- for people um, that that somehow reveals sort of what lies beneath the, the sheen of our sort of daily lives.
0: So before we go, I think anyone listening would, would want to know, like, what what happened, what became of Zaytan and perhaps the uh, Syrian refugee boys?
1: So I believe the Syrian refugee boys are still living their lives as they always had been. Um, Over the, from 2017 to 2019, when I was filming, they were consistently sort of in the same situation. Um, And with Zayton, I was very worried during the pandemic about what would happen to all the stray animals who live off of the scraps of restaurant goers. During lockdown, once those were gone, how would they survive? And uh, I was very happy to learn that the government and also the citizens of Istanbul um, would set out food every day for the for the dogs. And once in a while, I'll get a text message from uh, Zeynep Koprulu my co producer who lives in Istanbul, uh, a, scre- a picture she's taken of Zaytan snoozing on a very busy street as she always did, um, still living very well. And I and I have no reason to believe that she's not still doing well in a city that is so hospitable and caring to dogs.
0: Well, that does my heart well to know that. Um, Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's a really beautiful and affecting film, and you should be very proud for having made it.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation.
0: I really appreciate it. Thanks to Elizabeth Lowe. Her film Stray can be seen on YouTube, Vudu, Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, and Apple TV. Join me next time when I talk to Chris Harden, a radio weatherman who is pioneering a new kind of docu-tourism on YouTube. See you then. Hi, I'm Ben and I'm Sarah and you should listen to what's new Nancy Drew come get a clue boop, boop, what's new Nancy Drew is a weekly podcast where we recap the latest episode of the CW show Nancy Drew yeah so put your sleuthing brain on and join us for a good time